Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and to look at your word and, and ask for your leading and guiding as we look through it. In your son's name, amen. All right, Psalm 65. To the chief musician, a psalm of, and song of David. Praise waits for you, O God, in Zion, and unto you shall the vow be performed. O you that hears prayers unto you, shall all the flesh come. Iniquities prevail against me, as for our transgressions, you shall purge them away. Blessed is the man who you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, even of your holy temple. By terrible things in righteousness will you answer us, O God, our, of our salvation, who art in the confidence of all the ends of the earth, and of them that are afar off upon the sea, which by his strength sets fast the mountains, being girded about with power, which still the noise of the seas, and the noise of their waves, and the noise of the people. They also that dwell in the uttermost parts are afraid at, the, at your tokens. You make the outgoings of the morning and the evenings to rejoice, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it with the rivers of God, which is full of water. You prepare them corn when you have so provided for it. You water the ridges thereof abundantly. You set the, settle the furrows thereof. You make it soft with showers. You bless the springing thereof. You crown, crown the year with your goodness and your and your paths drop fatness. They drop upon the, mast, the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys are also are covered over with corn, and they shout for joy. They also sing. This is one of those songs that David is pretty mellow about. There's nothing really bad on this one. So let's, let's take a look at this one to see says, praise waits for you, O God, in Zion, and unto you shall the vows be performed. This is just a praise to God. Just a straightforward praise. Praise waits for you. And that's kind of an interesting thing. Praise waits for God. Praise waits for you, O God, in Zion. Now, what is Zion? Who remembers what Zion is? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Oh. You, know, you got Jerusalem, Zion, Moriah. All those refer to... Jerusalem. So, and it says, It waits for you, O God, in Zion, and unto you shall the vow be performed. No, I have Zion with an S on here. Same thing. Same, same way. With a Z, with an S, it's still Zion. <laughs> uh, and it says that the vow will be performed for God. This is something that's very important for us to remember is when we make a vow, technically we are making it to God. When we sin, we are sinning against God, even if it's somebody else that's being sinned against in our sight, you, the person who's being sinned against is God. In Psalm 51, David said, against you and you only have I sinned. And he was for referring to the murder of Uriah and the adultery with Bathsheba Okay, so Uriah and his family were hurt. Bathsheba was hurt, you know. And David is saying, against you and you only have I sinned. So all sin is against God. Now, do I have an obligation to correct things with the person that would be hurt by the sin as well? Yes, but the, the actual sin is against God, not the person. We've hurt them, but it's not the sin against them. Do you understand the distinction? Yeah, I was going to say to Think you sin against somebody, you're really hurting them, or you're hurting you're them, but sinning, sinning against, against God. Against okay. So our our judicial system works in this type of mentality as well, where in one sense it is following God's will because if you're charged with a crime, you're not. If you steal from somebody, it's not you against that person that you've stolen from. It's you, you know, the state versus that individual. And so this is what God is saying. All sin, all broken law is against God. So therefore, all vows that we make are performed to God. 
If I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do, it's ultimately for God, because if I don't perform it, the sin is against God. Like divorce? Well, any, anything would be, any sin is a sin against God, and it hurts individuals, but it's a sin. And a vow would be, you said divorce, but yes, a vow would be, you know, that we agree to live with someone until, yeah. until death do us part, and then we get divorced. We have broken a vow. And, and I listen to, I never got married by preacher, but I listened to Dennis perform that ceremony. And I told them kids, don't you bring me into it. If y'all gonna argue, you work it out because you didn't make that law to the government of the United States in a judge's office. You made it to God Almighty. And I cannot interfere with this. I would say even if it was done in a judge's office, they used the same words, the power of God. No, and we can't. This, but see, this is where we have to understand all vows are made to God. Right. If I'm agreeing to do something, yes, I may hurt the person, an individual that I've made that agreement to, but the vow was made before God to be obedient. And this is where we've got to understand all this stuff is before us and God. Everything I do is between me and God. Whether it's other people involved or not, is irrelevant is still between me and God. They may get hurt, they may be be attacked, but and this is why God says, run to me to be your defender, because any attack on me is an attack on God. In in the bottom line, it's not, not that we're that special, but any attack on any individual isn't is an attack against God because he is the one that is sinned against. And so if we just allow him to be our defender, it says, okay, God, you're under attack, you take care of it. And very important for us to look at this. It says, you that hears prayers, unto you shall all flesh come. Mm -hmm. God is the only one that can be, hear the prayers. People pray to all kinds of idols and, and, and all of this, but only God is the one that hears the prayers. And it's, it's, it's so funny, and if you've been reading the Bible through, you, know, you get all these places. You've got a place in Isaiah, Jeremiah, where he says, you know, a man goes to the forest, cuts a tree down, half of it he makes an idol that can't hear, that has ears that can't hear, a mouth that can't speak, a nose that can't smell, and with the other half he lights a fire and cooks his meal. That's more beneficial. Which is more beneficial than the half that, he, that he's going to go bow, bow down to. Okay. And this is why it is critical for us to understand every prayer that's going to be heard has to be heard by God. Because all the rest of the prayers are just to, you know, dead pieces of wood or golden gold or stone or whatever it is you're praying to, it's, it's not going to hear. We had an interesting conversation come up this morning and it's not part of the lesson so I don't remember how. Having idols in your house, somebody just got a statue or a picture of Jesus. I don't remember which. And I said, no, actually, if you're not very careful, that's not a good thing to have in your house. And I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> you're taking on a big up because in the Catholic Church, and. Uh, they sit there, there was three different issues they sit very quiet and listened for two and I told them if you come to my home you will see that I have statues and pictures and all this stuff in my home I did not buy it it was a gift and they're left there not for me to talk to God to but if they have any purpose to serve it all it is to show people that come to my home who I belong to like us <laughs> like that <laughs> and that too but, but uh, they were asking questions mm -hmm. and uh, well you've got you've got some big issues and especially in, in Catholicism yes they'll they'll tell you that they're not praying to these things but they really are they're symbols but they're more than symbols though I mean they pray to Mary they, they may, play they, they pray down. to these idols I mean when you start bowing down to these images that we think of as God or Jesus 
that you start getting into trouble because he's not up there, he's in here. Yeah. And this, this goes to God is the one that's going to hear. He is the one that's going to hear. And he's, and he's the one that, if you're truly worshiping God or desiring to worship God, he is going to make sure that you worship him. And this is a great thing that's going on, especially in the Middle East with the Muslims. There are people that are truly seeking God. And how does he deal it? He'll send, a, he'll send a missionary to them. Or he's even doing even greater things. He's appearing to them in dreams and saying, I am Jesus that you are to follow. You want to worship me. You've been, worship, you've been honestly trying to worship, but you're worshiping wrong. I am the one you're, you're wanting to worship. And it's amazing what God will do to make sure people know the truth. And it's been amazing, and I've said this over and over, you go into missionary stories who've gone into these darkest jungles of Africa or South America, and they start giving the gospel to these people, and they'll hear something like, well, we've been waiting for the rest of the message. Okay, we had this much given to us. We knew that we needed God, and we needed the rest of the story. And they've been waiting for the rest of the story. Somebody had a vision that you had to follow this guy. They don't know who we who he is, all they know is that you surrender to him. And I'm sure that they were saved because they were honest to the teaching that they had received. And certain people are definitely called to God. And we're going to look at that because this, this, this psalm gets into that whole idea. Uh, verse 3, Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, they shall be purged. You shall purge them away. Iniquities here, okay, is a different word, is, has, a, has a, another word in Hebrew. Iniquity means sins on, on purpose, but it also had the word speech in front of it, which wasn't translated in English. So these are words of iniquity are prevailing against me. And this is being cast at him. And we know how much words hurt. It's one thing to have people do and say thing, uh, do things to you and physically hurt you, but words really hurt. Words draw people into sin quite frequently, and they're, they're a great temptation. He says, but as for our transgressions, you shall purge them away, and this word literally is propitiate. And what is, does anybody remember what propitiate means? We've used this word several times. Sin-free? Uh, somewhat. The mercy seat is called the seat of propitiation. That is another, is a real, another word for it. For God hears from you and you hear from God. Now, propitiation literally is when the penalty for something has been paid. Not necessarily by you, but it has been paid. It has been propitiated. It used to be a word they used in the housing industry. When you finally paid your last payment on the mortgage, they would say that the loan has been propitiated. It has been paid. There is no more debt. So it's a powerful word here that he's, that he's saying. He says, our sins shall be purged. They're taken away. They've been paid. Sam? So it's like when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was our propitiation. Cleansing. Yes. And forgiving sacrifice of atonement by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's a word I don't understand. Expiation. Romans. Expiration means to bring something <laughs> to its end. Not expiration, expiation. Spells for graduation. P I A T I L. I'll have to look it up, I can't without seeing the word, I can't. I'm going to feel that lie. All right. As far as I know, it means to pay for, so it's. Removal of guilt. Okay. All right. Yes, propitiation does remove remove guilt because the, the it's paid for. It means removed from sin. Remove sin from God's sight and thereby to restore to holiness. Use only in a margin of KDV. Restore to holiness. Expiate. Expiation. <laughs> These are very fancy, very fancy words, but I mean, I just want to make sure we understand because propitiation is the most vital thing in this that God's anger has been paid for, has been paid for by Jesus. 
and that payment of his blood gets rid of the guilt of our sin and provides us a place where we can be accepted by God. Not only has it been paid for, but places in us that we are acceptable to him. What was the last word he used? Expiate. It's part of the definition. And he looked up the word propitiation in, his, in the back, and it uses expiate. Removal from guilt. Removal from sin. Removal of the guilt of sin, making us holy with God. So God says our transgressions, or David saying our transgressions, you have removed them. This is, this, this is that idea of positional truth. We are perfect in God's sight. And it's not something new. It's not something that's just New Testament study. It is something that is spoken of by God that the blood purges the sin and makes you perfect. You know, in his eyes, you're, we are perfect. And we've got to understand this because if we see ourselves as perfect as God sees us, we're going to react different to things. If I think I'm just a loser and God is waiting for me to do things wrong, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I will do things wrong because I expect that I'm going to do things wrong because I expect that God expects it of me. All right? And so if I'm looking at it saying God says I'm perfect, then I'm more likely to act in who he says I am. Or I'm at least going to be resting in him and letting the Holy Spirit change me into that perfect person that he says I am. And it all comes down to resting. Faith, rest in Christ. I'm going to just rest and say, God, I'm going to take you at your, at your word. You say I'm perfect. I'm just going to rest in it. And then when Satan comes and accuses you, you are able to say, you know, God, you know you're right, but, but you're also wrong. <laughs> You're right, I know who I am. God, I, know, I know the facts that you're giving me, but the truth is. All right? And we want to be able to understand, Satan is going to throw facts at us. He knows our sin, and he's going to throw them at us. And God says, that's all fine, but I know the facts, but I'm going to say the truth. You are perfect. Because he is in a different, different realm with us. He sees us as complete. He says that we're complete, and he's already standing with us in the completion of our glorification where we are made complete. And he's just looking around saying, oh, you're here. <laughs> you're already complete as far as he's concerned. This is something we can't comprehend because we're stuck in time. We're, we spend our entire life learning to be somewhat perfect, you know, more and more perfect with each day that we walk. Most of our lives <laughs> but God is already God is already seeing us at the end and saying I said you were perfect and now you are perfect because he's already seeing us as perfect you know sometimes I think about years ago I thought I was smart and I do a lot but I found that I didn't know that I'm here but you know that's the way it's going to always be you will always be in this place. I can sit down with certain people and I feel like I know nothing because of what areas that they know. And I've been studying for a long time and know quite a bit about the Bible. And yet I can sit down with certain people and listen to what they say and go, wow, I don't know anything. I can sit down a year from now and say, boy, I didn't know anything a year ago because of what God is teaching me directly. So we want to be able to just say, Yes, we feel that way, but at the same time, don't worry about it because it is what, what it is because we are learning. We are growing. Now, it's easier to grow with a teacher than to try to do it all on your own. And not all, not all pastors and teachers out there are all that, all that deep in everything. And some are deep in certain areas and not in others. I mean, I'm sure there's things that I don't teach very well because I don't fully understand them, and there's things I teach that I fully, un or at least somewhat fully understand, <laughs> or better understand than somebody else. And you're always going to be, and that's one of the reasons I really like people to go out and listen to other preachers that are solid Bible teachers. Because you're going to learn something from them that you can't learn from me just because they have different experiences and different, different places that they have grown. 
and I learn from them. Believe me, I, I spend lots of time listening to other pastors, and I learn quite a bit. Like between services, I have three or four pastors I usually listen to, not as many like on today when we have our luncheon and, and I spend time cleaning because I don't have as much time, but I'll listen to a number of speakers throughout the day on Sunday afternoon and get different people's opinions of things. When I'm up here and I tell everybody, when you come, if you come into the office, you're most likely going to hear one of the teachers that I listen to speaking on the, on the computer because I listen to them that way. And you know, you, you never know, sometimes you'll just hear Christian music, but most of the time you're gonna hear one of the speakers. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I'm trying to fill my mind with fresh thoughts and they challenge me to consider things a little differently as well. So it is going to be much easier to keep learning by, getting, by having a teacher and learning from that teacher. And some teachers are better than others, you know, but at the same time, each one has a specialty that they teach on. And the sad thing is there's a lot of pastors in this country that don't teach very strong messages. They teach a lot of homilies and you know, they'll use a verse, but it's all, you know, all fluff and you know, cotton balls and fluff. You know, it's no substance to it. And you want to sit under pastors, you want to sit under teachers that have substance. They probably make you feel bad once in a while because all of a sudden you go, well, I didn't know that. God, I've been violating this in my life. That step on your toes once in a while. Mom, I get my toes stepped on lots of times. She said, when they step on your toes, honey, you wear your shoes. <laughs> you, if you don't leave, you wear your shoes. Right? You wear your shoes and keep listening. Yeah. Yep. Well, your dog tramps on your toes all the time. Yes, Sam. <laughs> it's like that pastor that I had when I went to Zona Youth Camp. Um, he, he was a convicting uh, pastor. Okay. Yep. All right, verse 4. Blessed is the man who you choose and cause to approach unto you that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with goodness of your house, even the holy temple. This is kind of an interesting verse that is going to kind of makes some people upset, but it says, blessed is the man that God chooses. Okay? And it literally means that God chose. And he says, and causes to approach you. God chooses us. He draws us to him. And we all, in, all of us that have answered the call know the truth of this, that we are drawn to his house. We are drawn to his word, almost forced to. I remember when I was young, before I got saved, I went to church every time I could, anywhere I could. I was drawn, I was almost pulled to it. I love, I love Jeremiah when he says, God, you, I, I've been afflicted so much, I am not gonna speak your, your words anymore. <laughs> God, I'm tired of being sent to jail, I'm tired of being, being attacked, I'm not speaking for you anymore. Isaiah? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Yeah. And then a couple couple verses later and it goes God's word burned in my mouth I could not but speak. There are times when you're going to do what God says to do. And this should be the way teachers are. They just can't not teach. If there if you can it's been said if you can think of anything you'd rather do than be a pastor, go do it. And I can't think of anything I'd rather do than be a pastor. I can't think of anything I'd rather do than be a teacher. And people have said that. They, they, you know, they go, you teach all the time. And it doesn't matter what the topic is. If I know what it is, I'll teach. I, I sat down with somebody and just talked about management stuff. And she looked at me and goes, I've learned more about management in 15 minutes than I've learned in the year that I've been a manager. Because it's a passion with you. Because I teach. I'd love to teach. I want people to be growing in their teaching but it says blessed is the man that God chooses and causes to approach that he may dwell in the house of the Lord do you understand the value of dwelling in the house of the Lord the, the just the simple being in his presence I love to be in God's presence 
I love to be with his people. And Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of you. And this group, I'm sure, understands that. You know, to be in his presence. To not be around the, God's people is something that's unfathomable to those that are being drawn into his presence and want to be there. I truly can't understand anybody who says that they're a Christian who doesn't want to be with God's people. It bothers me. I'm not going to say they're not saved, but I don't see how they could be because they should want to be in God's presence with others. That was me Wednesday. I'm, going, I'm too tired. I don't want to do this. Oh, I'll go anyway. <laughs> I tried that sometimes and I can't even walk. Well, there's certain things that mean you can't. I mean, if your body just can't handle it, you can't do it, you... you but you still have the desire to be there even though your body is telling you you can't do it. Whenever we're having trouble with somebody, if we're speaking the truth and we're not trying to get them in trouble, how they react is between them and God. And too often we, we, we find people who want to put motive on what somebody does and they did something, they did this because, and you don't know what they did or why they, why they did it, you just know that it happened. You don't want to go there. You don't want to. You don't want to make that attack. You know. They. You know. When we start trying to say that there's motives behind it or reasons behind it that we don't know, we're setting ourselves up for problems. Number one, because now I've got bad feelings to this first person because I've invented motives in my own mind that may or may not be right, but is totally irrelevant because I don't know for for a fact that they were real. But once I make once I start saying them, they become real. Well, at least in my sister. mind. This verse goes on to say that we may dwell in his courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house. And this satisfied means to be overly filled. Okay? Overly filled with spiritual things. Now, if it was used toward food, it literally means to eat to sickness. Okay? But for spiritual purposes... It is to be filled so that you're over full with God's goodness. So in this verse, it's saying God chose us. He made us to come to him that we can dwell with him so that we can be over full of his goodness. This is a precious verse that God is the one that generates that desire in us to be his, to dwell with him to spend time with them. And very powerful. Verse 5, By terrible things the righteous will, will you answer us. O God of our salvation, you are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of them that are afar off upon the sea. And terrible here is standing in awe. Standing in awe of the things in righteousness, you will answer us. This is... This is powerful. God wants righteousness from us. It does draw his attention. Now, it doesn't make him love us more. It doesn't mean that he's going to give us great rewards. But God will deal with us. The more we respond to him, the more responsibility he gives. And Jesus taught about the talents. God does not expect us to go above what we are able to. If he gives us 10 talents, he expects us to do the work related to 10 talents. He gives two talents, he doesn't expect 10 talents worth of work because you don't have 10 talents. But he also doesn't want the person digging it in a hole and hiding it and not using it. And this is one of the things that we look at. Each individual is only going to be accountable before God for what he's asked them to do. So you get somebody who's, who is gonna only a mother, and I use that word very ridiculously because a mother is responsible for everything that goes on in the family and raises their children. Okay? She is so busy being a mom that she's not gonna be able to put a whole lot of time with the church if she's doing her job as a mom. And, but I've seen mothers who get so angry with themselves because they're not able to teach a Sunday school, work in the nursery, you know, work in the kitchen of the, of the church, and do all these, all these millions of things because they're busy being a mom. 
and they, they somehow push down the idea that mom that motherhood is is something that's not worth anything uh, can't remember their name but there was a mother in the early part of our country who had 13 kids okay I think it's Adams but I don't remember yeah. Adams you know and she had this problem thinking that she wasn't doing enough but she trained her kids in righteousness and, and learning and all of her kids went on to be top performers. The boys all got into government or pastoral or missionaries. All of them did great things. The girls were great mothers for the, you know, and, and leaders in their, in, their, in their life. You know, what was the value of her being a mother? <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no price on that. There's no price on that, on that being a mother. And what if she decided, well, I just can't spend this time with my 13 kids. I've got to go work at the church and and do all these things. Her kids would have suffered and probably not been the famous people that they became. We are accountable for what God asks us to do. There are many people that look at pastors and say, look at all the stuff that they do. They're going to be so rewarded in heaven. Maybe, maybe not. Because God may be asking them to do 10, 10 talents worth of things and they're doing six talents worth of things. And people look at it and say, boy, they're doing all these things. And God's saying, uh, you're they're dropping the ball in, in four areas. You know, we've got to be careful. If, if God's talent giving you the talents to do one thing, you do it. And you do it well. And God will reward you for doing it. He's not asking, he's not asking somebody who's not called to be a teacher to be a teacher. He's, you know, that's not the standard he's using. You know, we're all called to share the gospel, but there are people who are evangelists who are good at sharing the gospel beyond anything. And I look at them sometimes well, almost envious. I wish that I could be as free and easy as they are. But I'm not that good with words, and it's not as easy for me. And you know, I need to be careful. I'm, I'm not called to do his job. I'm called to be the teacher, and he may not be able to do what I'm called to do. So we want to be careful. What has God called us to do? And do it to the best of our ability however much or little he has asked us to do. And it's critical for us to get to that point. What is God saying to do? We do it with all of our heart. I don't know if this has anything to do with the lesson or not, but it was so spectacular this morning. I was looking, I was trying to find what we talked about in the car, about the giants, and I found, I'm not going to read it all, in chapter 22 of 2 Samuel, and he rode upon a cherub and did fly, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind, and he made the darkness pavilion around about him, dark waters and thick clouds of the sky. Well, I read it all to the end. And I, you know, I started not to, because it wasn't a lesson. But while I was reading it, you all know my darlings. They were paying attention. There, there is a side that God is of fury and judgment and, and darkness as we would call it but the one thing about it is his punishment is just as vital into who he is as his love and his light and hell is going to be a place of darkness and great, great pain and, and God will send them there because they've asked for it basically and it's, but he's also sitting there he's also sitting there and saying I'm calling you and I'm going to give you so much good that you're going to be overflowing with good. That doesn't mean riches and all of this, but he, good that God says is for us that is good. The rest of that was the, the point of the lesson. When you have battles with that teacher that doesn't like you at school, or you have problems with your parents, and we all have periods of time that we do, and when you have problems with them kids that will not leave you alone, the battle is the Lord's. And it fell right in with this God that can ride the winds. Mm -hmm. And they got it, and it was just so neat and beautiful to watch. Mm -hmm. and, and God was touching them. Mm -hmm. okay. Well, you didn't he, Yeah, he is. Verse 5, by terrible things in righteousness will you answer us, O God of our salvation, 
Who is the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of them that are far off upon the seas? God is our salvation. And I love the way he says it, from the ends of the earth. And if, if that's not okay, let's even include the seas. <laughs> okay? You know, we know that humans live on seas, but just in case you're trying to get away from God and go into the ocean, you know, we're going to include the ocean, God. You know, you're going to be our confidence. You're going to be our salvation. You know, our confidence. This is such a beautiful thing that God is the one we trust in. He is our refuge. And he is it no matter where we're at. And that will include where we're at spiritually. I mean, if, we're, if we know him and we're suffering and we're, if we're having a hard time with sin, he's still there waiting for us, holding us, lifting us up, waiting for us to respond to his love, waiting for us to give up and let him crucify that area. And this is so important. He wants to crucify our flesh, but he's not going to force it. God is a gentleman who will not force himself upon us. If we're going to sit there and struggle and reject and, and fight him or fight what he wants, he's just going to sit back and say, okay, you keep fighting. And when you're tired of fighting, I'll be here waiting to deliver you. Wouldn't it be easier sometimes, though, if he comes down and grabbed us by the neck and, and forced us? And forced us a little bit, choke us, and drop it. Well, that's part of what he, well, he does that in one sense because he lets us go through the trials. And our job is to learn that I'm the one bringing these trials upon me because of my fighting with his will. And God, God is not like our school system that says, okay, because we've got so many kids, we've got to go to the next we've got to go to the next lesson whether you're ready for it or not, we're going to the next lesson. God says, I've got all the time in the world. Until you learn this lesson, we're not going to go forward. Okay? And God keeps doing that. He waits for us to complete the lesson. And he will wait for us to finish what he last told us. You think about Abraham. Abraham was told to leave Ur of Chaldees and separate himself from his family. He left Ur of Chaldees and went to Haran, not by himself. He left to go that far with his father, and apparently Laban, and Lot, and himself. Okay, partial obedience. And God waited. 20 years God waited for him to finally be obedient and go to where he was told to go. And even then... He didn't go in complete obedience. He took Lot. And if you remember the story of Lot, Lot's going to go in, into Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going to be delivered. And two nations are going to be born that are going to harass Israel for their existence because he took Lot with him. Okay? He was disobedient and waiting for Isaac, and he gave birth to Ishmael. Ishmael gave birth to all these countries that are the problems for, for Israel. Disobedience have long-range problems, and we want to be careful. And Esau's people, which would have stood probably about the same on their own, married into Ishmael's people. And made problems already. Verse 6, which by his strength sets fast the mountains being girded with power. God is willing to give us the answers. He's our salvation, and he's so strong that he's the one that puts the mountains in place. And it says that they are girded with power. He holds them together. Okay. This, is, this is, he's saying, if you don't think God's strong enough, he holds the mountains together. Wow. Okay. He established the mountains, and by the way, he holds them together so they don't collapse. When Jesus died on the cross, he turned his eye away from, turned his back on the earth for what, one second? One or two seconds? And the earth shook violently. There were earthquakes, rocks falling, graves opening. That was just showing power on that, I think. I don't think that was, he didn't turn his back on the creation. If he had, 
All it takes for a split second is for God to decide he's not going to pay attention to the earth for a split second. And everything would be gone because he holds the very atoms together. You know, when I was in school, I always, I always questioned teachers about this. You know, how does an atom stay together? Light charges repel each other, and yet you've got these clusters of protons in the center, center of an atom that should be blowing apart. You've got electrons circling these protons that should be attracted to the protons and collapsing in. By scientific rule, an atom should not exist. Scientists will say, well, there's this atomic uh, glue that hold, keeps them all together and keeps the atoms out there in balance, and they get all this baloney. And they got, the glue is God Almighty. Yeah, but it's God because it says that everything is held together by Jesus. Mm. And if God, for just one second, lost concentration on the earth, it would just totally be annihilated. Because the blue would be... Because he would have just said, well, oh, oh, whoa, whoa, I had a lapse of moment, had a lapse of, lapse of concentration, and nope, the whole creation just disappeared. Okay, well, I guess we better round that up. So the power, in God, and here David's saying, you, know, you don't think he's strong enough to be your protector. He puts the mountains in place and he holds them together. His strength. Then he goes, he stills the noise of the sea, the noise of their waves, and the tumult, which literally is noise, of the people. God stills the noise. If you've ever been by the ocean, I love the sound of ocean. I don't consider it noise. But during a storm... It can get noisy as those waves crash onto the beach or crash onto the stones if you're on the west coast with the rocky beaches and everything. West, east coast is mostly sandy beaches until you're way up in the north. A lot less, lot less noise, but on the west coast you've got a lot of rocky beaches and the noise is very loud. And he says, God stills the noise of the sea, which isn't a whole lot of noise. He stills the noise of the waves crashing but I love this last voice he and the noise of the people the noise of the people is stilled number one how many times do we have noise in our own head that God needs to, to, to calm down you know, mm -hmm. we look at it and we can get so anxious so worried about our, our circumstances if we forget that it's all under God's control and it is so easy to do we, we could be walking along perfectly fine and then all of a sudden, our finances pop into our head, and we go, God, where's this $300 coming from that I need to pay my bills? And all of a sudden, noise. And God's saying, I got it under control. Just be quiet. The noise of, of all the problems that are attacking us, when people attack us. You know, when you're inside a fortress, you don't hear much of the noise outside. It's just very irrelevant because you're inside a fortress. And... You know, the, the castles were, some, were as much as 3 to, to 21 to 50 feet thick on their outside walls. Mm. Wow. You, know, you want to talk about being insulated from noise, you were, you know, you're in the defense, you're, in, you're hiding in Christ, and he's saying, just calm down, just be quiet, be at rest. Because there's not a whole lot we can do about the future, and we've talked about this so many times. We can't, if I'm worried about what's going to happen, I've got problems. That doesn't mean I totally ignore it. I don't, like I said this morning, I just don't sit on my butt waiting for God to hand me, hand me everything. If I, I've got to get up and do my work. I've got to get up and do my diligence to, to try to earn my money. You know, he's not just going to throw money at me if I'm just sitting there. You know, but if I'm looking for work or I'm doing the best job I can, God will take care of what needs to be met. But if I'm just sitting there, God, I need money, I need money, I need money. You know, like he says, I gave you three jobs. You didn't do any of them. <laughs> you know, have you ever heard the, the story about the guy in a flood? He's going, you know, they come out to rescue him. And I go, oh, no, I'm waiting. I've been praying. God's going to deliver me. They sent out a boat. You know, no, I'm waiting for God to deliver me. You know, up on the top of his roof, you know, waiting. They send a helicopter. Oh, I'm waiting for God to deliver me. And he gets to heaven. God, why didn't you deliver me? Well, I sent you a car. I sent you a boat. And I sent you a helicopter. How much more do you want? Okay. 
And God wants to be that way with us. He wants to have us come to him and, and abide with him and, and, and work. It was talking about the, the noise of people. Uh, when all my children were little, I encouraged the other kids to play in my yard so I'd know where my kids were. And I didn't listen to them. I tuned them, I just heard the hum of the noise until there was a disturbance. Then I heard and understood. And the same with the crowd in Washington several years ago when they said, Jesus, and it started back here. And it carried, as they said it, they said it, they said it, they said it, and it was like this huge wave. And it was loud, but it was soothing and beautiful to your hearing. And then that mob in over that young black man, where, oh, which one, huh? It's obnoxious and it's tumulant and but it wasn't as loud as the word Jesus. Mm. Okay. <laughs> My sister-in-law told me in North Carolina now, and I forgot the name of the little town, they're having this revival. She said the first night they had two or three hundred people. And the, the third night they had over two thousand. How many people that had come to Christ, but not as many as I thought she was going to tell me. It wasn't even a hundred. But she said the people were coming, like it was really, really something. Yeah. Well, revival is something we need to be praying for because God is going to move. He's going to move. He's going to bring people to Christ. Will we have a worldwide revival or even a nationwide revival I don't really think that we will but God can move in towns God can move in churches we need to pray for revival because that's the only hope we have for for or an extension but I think we're at the end times and I don't think we're going to see much of you know revival that's going to be enough to draw God and say okay we've you know we've you've gotten out of the judgment unfortunately I think we're too far along I'd like to be wrong. It's one of those areas I would love to be wrong in. I don't think I am, but I would love to be wrong in that area. But unfortunately, we're also getting what we deserve. I mean, we've been a nation that has made so many bad decisions for God, and the church hasn't done enough to defend defend our our freedoms and, and keep keep us. And we'll, we'll end up paying for it. Mm -hmm. uh, but God is saying... He is our refuge. And even when there's revival, it's him that causes the revival. And it's going to be coming through prayer. There has been many books written that all the great revivals are a result of prayer. People praying for revival, praying for God to move, repentance of their sins so that God would move on the, on the town, the city, the country. And it takes prayer. We really want to see prayer, uh, revival. We need to pray. We need to pray for revival. We need to come together and ask for God's revival. I love watching this town. This town is changing over time. And I've watched it. It's not, I can tell you, when I first came to this town, it was a very depressing town to come to. Satan was very much oppressive, and it's not the same oppression anymore. Is it a godly town yet? Absolutely not. But it's not oppressive as it was God is making movement. People are going out and sharing the gospel. People are seeing that God is moving. And what all he's doing, I don't know. I don't know how he's doing it, what he's doing, but it is amazing to watch how things are changing. And I'm really expecting that one of these days there's going to be a revival sparked in this town. Will it be us that does it? I don't know. Probably since we're the only church, but does it need to be us? Absolutely not. It could be an evangelist that just floats in here and sets up a tent over here where the fire department's lot was and the old school was. We'll I don't. Huh? We'll carry the tent now. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to come here. But but if that was to be the case, praise God. You know, I am not here to build this church. I'm here to build God's kingdom. In the process, God will build the church because we're building His kingdom. And so. 
we've got a we've got a postcard going out probably this week, and basically it says, "Go to church." And literally it says, "If Chloride Baptist Church isn't the church for you, please find a Bible-believing church that you would be that you can go to." Because I'm not here to build this church up. You know, yes, I'd love to see people come to this church, but I'm not here to build Chloride Baptist Empire. I'm here to build Jesus Christ's kingdom. And if we honor him, he will honor us and bring us the people we need to build his kingdom. Because I look out, when I drive up here, I keep looking off to the left at all those houses built up against that mountain in Golden Valley that are too far from Golden Valley proper to be reached by those churches. And I've been praying for those churches. Will we be the ones that do it? I don't know, but I've been praying for those, God to reach those, those houses out there. Those houses out there, because there are hundreds of them up against that mountain that are some eight or 10 miles from Golden Valley proper. They're in the middle of nowhere, but there's hundreds of houses out there that need to be reached. So I've been praying for them. How will God do that? I don't know. I don't know what he'll do or how he'll do it, but I've been praying for them because I want to see them re reached for Christ. And this is what we look at. God is saying, I quiet the storms. I'm going to bring my presence into it. Verse 8, they also that dwell in the uttermost parts are afraid at your tokens. You make the outgoings of the morning and the evening to rejoice. And it says those that live as far away as you can figure out are afraid at your tokens. Now, tokens has a very specific meaning. It means his marks, his incense, his proof of who he is. Huh? Mine says nature's signs. Nature's signs. It's more than Pretty that. Presence. If, you, if you remember the story of, of uh, Judah and Tamar, okay? Tamar was his daughter-in-law. He was supposed to give her to his third son, but two of his sons had died because of you know, and he says, no, I'm not going to give you, you know, basically he says, no, he says, wait, but he meant no. And she tricked him into conceiving. conceiving, having seed with her, you know, laying with her. She acted like a prostitute. And he remembered, he said, I'm going to, I'll send you a lamb from it. And he said, what, you, what tokens will you give me to hold? And he gave her a signet ring and his staff. And she held on to them until he was ready to kill her for being, a, you know, for adultery. Didn't she give him a golden ring? No, he gave her all the stuff. Okay. Yeah, he gave her, he gave her the three signet things. Ring. The signet ring, the, the, and she goes at that time, you judge how righteous I am by whose, and the word they use there is, tokens these are. Yep. Show me the proof of who you are, and this is what this verse is saying. The furthest uttermost will be afraid of God when he shows them who the proofs of who he is. And it's very powerful. Very powerful when you think it. And it says you make the outgoing, and that means the, the sunrise and sunset in this case. You're, you're, you're causing the sun to go up, to move, up and down. And, you know, you didn't, you know this time they didn't fully understand that the, the earth turned and not the sun, but... But the Bible very clearly has taught that the the, the earth turns and the sun, you know, the, the, the sun is the center. But this is kind of poetic. You know, remember we're in a poetry book, so it's not taken as literal science here. And it says, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it with the river of God, which is a full which is full of water and prepares corn when you have so provided for it. God says, David's saying, God, you take care of us. <laughs> you give us all the water we need. You give, you give us abundance of, of wealth and, and, and items. And it says, you, you even throw in corn <laughs> when we need it, when you provide it. And it is amazing that, that God provides for us when we need it, how we need it, and all of that. And then in verse 10, you water the ridges thereof abundantly, you, set, you settle the furrows thereof, and you make it soft with showers, you bless the seed springings, which is seedlings. And so he's going, God, you, you send the rain into the, the ridges or the furrows of the, of the fields, because furrows of the fields have been used forever. 
and the furrows catch the water, hold the water, and it says, by the way, you even soften, you, you blunt the furrows. If you go down to a, to a farm after the, after the ground has been planted, you'll see that the furrows, they start out really tall, and God yes. softens them, and the rain softens them, and they get smaller and smaller, uh, till, to the point where if you wait long enough, they're almost flat with the rest of the ground. And it says, you know, you soften that ground, and you send the showers that, that bless the seedlings. Little, the little tiny seedlings that pop up, and God sends just enough rain for them. And it's amazing how the seasons, that like God has worked the seasons. Rain falls at the right times, usually. Ends at the right time for a harvest to be made. You know, when you harvest wheat, it has to be harvested while it's relatively dry. Otherwise, you can have an internal combustion on your hail bales that will set fires, spontaneously combust. Wow. If, if you bale hail while it's wet, there's a great chance that you will have fires in your bales of hay. Because the steam and the, and the chemicals and everything that are, that, are, that are produced can start fires. Is it a guarantee they will? No. But farmers will wait for their hay to dry out before they harvest it and bale it. But it is a guarantee whether that busts into five lanes or not that it's mold. And you don't want to feed your cattle and your animals mold. It most likely would mold. There's lots of reasons not to do it, but you'll end up with flames if you do it many times. Wow. It says, you crown the year with your goodness, and your paths drop fatness. He says, you crown the year. At the end of the harvest, you crown it by all the produce that's done. And your paths, where you walk, God, where you, you know, everywhere you go, you drip and trickle out goodness, prosperity. Fatness talks about prosperity. Wherever God goes, he just drips off of him. He is so good that his presence just fills things and people are blessed. Companies have been blessed just because they have Christians that are helping keep it godly. And they've been blessed just because of who is working for them. Cities have been blessed because of people responding to God and getting the blessing. If, if Sodom and Gomorrah had repented of, it, of their sin, even just a handful of them, their city would have been spared. You look at Nineveh when Jonah goes to preach to it. Now it says they all repented, but I'm sure that it wasn't all the people who repented. Now the king got hold of the message and he commanded everybody to repent, but being commanded to repent is not going to get, be true repentance. But enough people truly repented that Nineveh was spared. The city of 70,000 people was spared by whatever handful repented. Now, God will bless because of the remnant that is there. If we want to protect chloride from God's destruction, we keep praying for it. We keep repenting. repenting. We keep serving him. And God will say, there's enough of my servants there to, to protect. There's enough of my servants to pour out my goodness on that town and maybe more will come. The minute we stop having the people respond, it says that you know God's destruction will come when we don't repent. We, His people, need to repent to keep it, to bring His goodness and His protection on. And it's very important. And then we're going to take the last two verses. We're running a little bit long. They drop upon the pastures of the wilderness. This is His fatness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. You know. Creation itself will rejoice because of the, the goodness of God dropping on it. It says, the pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys are covered with corn. They shout for joy. They also sing. The Psalms talks about creation praising God. And there may be a way that creation praises God that we're not aware of. Because Jesus, remember when the Pharisees told Jesus, you know, Tell this crowd to be quiet. And he says, if they are quiet, the rocks themselves will shout out. And I think he literally meant the rocks would shout out. If he can use a, if he can use a donkey with 
with Balaam, he can let the rocks, he can let the rocks praise him. I was watching a storm in Phoenix one time, and the, uh, well, I lived in Georgia, and it's her in the south, seen a good deal worse storms in that they lasted longer. But the power in that, and all of a sudden watching these palm trees not, not snap, and these other trees not snap. And I was thinking, if, and I don't know why the connection, but it was, if every element on this earth not breathing like animals or humans, but if every element that God created on this earth stood up like the rocks and praised God, what would the sound be like? Something that he hears probably already. Mm-hmm. Because Paul talks about the whole of creation groans. Why? Because of the sin of Adam and Eve. All of creation, all of the rocks, the plants, the planet itself was cursed by that sin. That's an amazing thought. Everything. Everything was cursed. These storms we get. You know, and it's kind of amazing because I'm from, I've been in the South. I've been places where Storms usually last a long time. Yes. Out here in this desert, storms don't usually last long, but when they hit, they can be destructive. Mm-hmm. They can be more destructive than those storms that last for 12 hours on the East Coast, and yet they're just so quick out here in the desert. And God is saying all of creation is suffering. Is, is waiting for the redemption. All of creation is waiting for redemption. Earthquakes, storms, the pain, you know, the pain of birth that we experience, you know, that, that's experienced. You know, animals don't seem to have near as much pain as humans do, you know, because if, I've seen it. I've seen them give birth. You know, occasionally if there's something that goes wrong, they will have great pain and distress, but you watch most births on animals and it's there's doesn't be there doesn't appear to be this huge amount of pain but for humans we've had that as part of the curse was pain on on birth if it was as much pain for a female horse to give birth as it was a female human that stud wouldn't get but one chance and the second time she went into heat he'd get it right in the face chest or wherever she could eat but she does it. She welcomes the cold when it's dying. No, part of that's genetic, genetic and, and intuitive. But, but this is the whole idea. The entire earth suffers because of the curse. Yeah, thorns that grow and wonderful, all the thorns that we have out there that hurt us and get into us, the, the poisons that are out there, the, all the stuff that's out there that has been cursed. And the earth itself is waiting for redemption. And it's so bad that when God gets to the end, he's just going to totally destroy it and wipe it out. But for a millennia, it'll be the way it was supposed to be. When Jesus comes back and rules for a thousand years, the millennium kingdom, it'll be like it was supposed to have been. It'll be tainted because of the sin, but it will be perfect. The animals will not be wild, will not be poisonous, and then he'll destroy everything and start all over. But during that thousand years, without Satan here to blame for everything you do wrong, he doesn't rule with a feather and with love. He rules with an iron rod. He will make you be. He will make the people be obedient. But that's sad because it says so much more than people want to hear it saying. Well, we have our sin nature. We have. Well, we won't have our sin nature, but the ones who survive right. the tribulation will still have a sin nature, but they will not be allowed to sin. But if you say, Chrissy said it, and I've said it years past in ignorance, if I could turn back the clock and see Eve and talk to Eve, or if I was Eve, blah, 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 I'd have probably blew it worse than she did. Mm-hmm. So I'm not setting judgment on her, and I told her I wouldn't. Satan can be very luring, but that's kind of, I don't know if it's more scary or more sad. Mm-hmm. That without Satan and the demons here, there will still be people wanting to sin. Yeah. 
They won't be able to sin, which is why when Satan is back on the scene, there will be people that are just going to be so rejoicing that they have finally can do what they've been wanting to do for centuries at that, at that time. You know, because I used to wonder as a teenager, why would, how could Satan be successful in, in yeah. tempting these people after a thousand years of everything being right? And it comes down to they're being ruled with an iron rod. And what I say, you know, you want to talk about thought police, you're, you know, when you've got God being the one policing you, you've got the ultimate thought police. He'll go, angel or, or helper, get that person. They're thinking about it. Tell them they are not doing it. You know, you're talking about him forcing every sinful thought to be in subjection. What we're told to do as Christians, and we have the power through the Holy Spirit, he's going to force them to do. I have thoughts that are sinful, and I'm so thankful to God that for, uh, even though we're going to be here in our glorified bodies, therefore it won't affect us. But I'm just plain thankful that there's a day coming when my thoughts will be erased clean. And a dirty thought or dirty word or curse word cannot enter into my head. Yep, because we have our glorified bodies at that time. But there will be a generation of people that make it through the whole of the tribulation, haven't taken the mark, and they will be allowed to live for a thousand years under forced obedience and won't be sinned during that point because it's forced obedience ruled with an iron rod. And when Satan is released, there are going to be a number of people that are going to say, finally, we can, we can rebel, we can do what we want. And it really goes to the heart of what man tries to say right now, that man is basically good and if it wasn't for all the bad he would be perfect and the millennial kingdom will pr disprove that with a passion because they will have a perfect environment there won't be a tempter to tempt them They're, they still have their sin nature but they will not be allowed to sin they will not be allowed to practice sin you're not going to see somebody sinning and say well I really don't want to do what they did none of that will happen and yet people at the end of the millennial kingdom will reject God and want to sin. That breaks my heart. But it shows you how evil the sin nature is. Yes, it does. We as Christians sometimes forget how evil the sin nature is and how much damage to this world the sin nature has brought. When sin came into this world, it changed everything. All of creation was changed. Then you had the flood and God said, okay, now animals, you, know, you now have a fear of man. Can you imagine how beautiful it was before the flood when, when the animals, for all you animal lovers, every animal could be a pet. And you didn't have to worry about it attacking you. You could have the lion, the leopard, the, the, any, the, the eagle, uh, the tiger, whatever you wanted, you could have as a pet because... All animals are beautiful. Oh, they are, I believe. But I'm afraid. But you won't be because that fear will be gone. That fear will be gone because there's nothing to fear, but... All that happened, all that's happened because of sin. All that's happened because of sin that God is waiting to be able to relieve us from. Saying, here is the perfect world. For a millennium, we'll have a perfect world. And for those of us that have been in our glorified bodies, that'll be a great time for us because we're going to be living in a world that is perfect. Hey, right, well, let's close in prayer. I'm sorry we weren't, wait, we weren't really late, but that's okay. Somebody has to drive home. We can do that. Lord, we, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to study and for each individual. We ask that you just guide us in our, in our week. Help us to just fall more and more in love with you and to desire you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen.